Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity entitled, The Future is Now, New Data for NAMD and DME in Vascular Integrity, is provided by Prova Education. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Multiple second-generation medicines are emerging for the treatment of neovascular age-related macular degeneration and diabetic macular edema. But how do we use these new agents in clinical practice? And what are the pathogenic drivers of these diseases? This is CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Diana Doe, and joining me today is my friend and colleague, Dr. Jack Wells. Welcome to the program, Jack. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to talking to you. So let's start our discussion by going straight to the question you just asked about these new medicines. We know that our currently available agents like Flubercept, Ranibizumab, Bevacizumab, Brolacizumab, all target VEGFA. And then we now have this new approved drug, Forisumab, that targets VEGFA and angioportin 2. We know that VEGFA is a very potent driver of angiogenesis and vascular permeability, What's the role of ANG2 and its receptor TI2 in these retinal diseases that we treat every day? We know that retinal vascular diseases are very complex, and VEGFA is not the only driver of these diseases. The angiopoietin pathway actually is important because it maintains vascular stability and homeostasis under normal physiologic conditions. When the retina is disease, there is upregulation of angiopoietin 2. Too much ANG2 promotes vascular instability in these disease states. And therefore, it would be important and helpful to potentially block ANG2. Furisimab is the first bispecific molecule that inhibits both VEGFA and angiopoietin 2. We can learn more about how ANG2 blockade is important by looking at this animated video. Therapies targeting VEGFA have become the gold standard of care to combat choroidal and retinal neovascularization and leakage. A new generation of strategies is emerging with the goal of better drying and greater durability. Brolacizumab is a single-chain antibody fragment binding VEGFA to block angiogenic signaling. Ferisimab is a bispecific antibody targeting both VEGFA and angiopoietin-2, or ANG2. In diseased vessels, ANG2 and VEGF synergistically drive vascular instability. ANG2 competitively binds TI2 receptors on endothelial cells to prevent quiescence driven by ANG1. Binding of ANG2 by ferisimab enables ANG1 TI2 signaling. The combined inhibition of ANG2 and VEGFA suppresses pathologic angiogenesis and improves vessel stability. Jack, how effective is furisimab in neovascular AMD and diabetic macular edema? Can you briefly review the phase three clinical trials? Certainly. So this has been a very exciting past month or two because we've had presentations of 
the phase three furosemab data for Nevastor AMD and Tanaya and Lucerne and for DME and Yosemite and Run. So in the AMD studies, there were 665 eyes if you pool the studies that were treated with either furosemab or compared to Flibercept for wet AMD. And what we saw at the one-year primary endpoint was that the visual outcomes were similar. There was about six letters gained in both groups. And the CST reductions were also similar with furosemab to aflubercept. But the exciting thing was, was that there was a significant durability signal. At one year, 45% of eyes in the furosemab group were on a Q16-week dosing interval and another 33% of eyes were on a Q12 week dosing interval. So 78% of eyes were on Q12 weeks or longer, which is certainly an impressive interval for the treatment of wet AMD. In the phase three DME trials, Yosemite and Ryan, these were large DME studies, the largest ever, I believe, with almost 1,900 patients enrolled. And these studies included two furosemab arms. One arm gave furosemab on a fixed eight-week dosing schedule after a loading period of six doses. And then the other arm was called the personalized treatment interval arm, which gave four loading doses of furosemab. And then additional treatment was given according to whether the eye was stable, worsening, or improving. Intervals could be extended as long as 16 weeks. And again, these furosemab arms were compared to aflubercept. And what we saw at the one-year primary endpoint was that the visual and anatomic outcomes were non-inferior to aflubercept in both furosemab arms. But I really want to focus on the PTI arm, which was essentially a treat and extend arm. And at one year, just over 50% of eyes in the PTI arm were on a 16-week dosing interval, and another 20% were on a 12-week dosing interval. So you had 70% of eyes at one year on a 12 or longer dosing interval. So the recent presentation of the two-year results of these studies was highly anticipated because we wanted to see if this durability signal was sustained through two years. And indeed, it was not only sustained, it was increased. At the two-year time point, 60 to 65% of the furosemab-treated eyes were on a Q16-week dosing, and another 15% roughly were on Q12-week dosing. So it was 80% of eyes were able to go 12 weeks or longer between their dosing. And again, this was without any loss of efficacy in terms of vision or central subfield thickness reduction. We also saw some new data from the Brolicizumab studies, Kite and Kestrel, looking at a treatment of DME, and it had good efficacy. But again, the safety concerns with Brolicizumab are likely to limit its use. Fortunately, with furosemab, there were no safety concerns. There were no increased rates of intraocular inflammation, and there were no cases of retinitis or occlusive vasculitis furosemab. So that was very encouraging to see that. So if you want more information on the efficacy of these agents, please visit iHealthAcademy.org. For those just tuning in, this is CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Diana Doe, and today I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Dr. Jack Wells. We're discussing second-generation medicines for the treatment of both neovascular age-related macular degeneration and diabetic macular edema. We're looking at the new mechanisms of action and how these translate into clinical outcomes. Jack, thank you for that review of Furisimab's clinical data. How should we think about using 
fericimab compared to a flibercept or ranibizumab in eyes with neovascular age-related macular degeneration. Well, Diana, you know as well as I do that one of the difficult things about treating patients with wet macular degeneration is that it's a chronic disease and patients frequently need to be treated on a monthly or nearly monthly basis to keep their disease stable and keep their vision stable. And so the exciting thing about fericimab is this durability signal that we've seen in these studies. And so frequently treat patients with a flibercept or ranibizumab, but those patients that are treated with those medicines that are requiring monthly therapy, I'm certainly going to look to switching them to fericimab to see if we can get that extended treatment interval. As I gain experience with fericimab in that fashion, I'll certainly be continuing to use a flibercept or ranibizumab, but I will start to hopefully use fericimab in my treatment-naive patients as well. I agree with you completely. I think there certainly is a role for fericimab with its new compelling data, but I think the safety records of a flibercept and certainly ranibizumab also are excellent, and certainly many patients continue to receive these therapies and do well too. Let's move on to diabetic macular edema. How will you use fericimab in patients with DME, Jack? So I think I'm probably more excited about the diabetic data, maybe because so much of my previous work has been in DME. So I think one of the interesting things about the two-year data with fericimab and Yosemite and Ryan is that in the PTI arm, the mean number of injections given in the second year was only three. And we know from protocol T that when you compared the available agents, that the mean number of injections given in the first year was nine or 10, and it was five to six in the second year. So you're talking about cutting the treatment burden in the second year, at least by half. We also know from protocol T that chronic persistent diabetic macular edema is very common. It's up to 40, 50% of eyes after one year of treatment still have thickening. And you don't really see that when you look at the OCT data with fericimab, you see there's a dramatic anatomic improvement in the first few months. And really after six months, over 80% of eyes have what was defined in the study as absence of DME, meaning their central subfield thickness had fallen below the threshold. So I'm looking forward to taking my patients with chronic persistent DME and switching them to fericimab. And again, as I said, for AMD, I gain experience and see the effect in my clinic. I certainly would consider using fericimab for treatment naive eyes as well. Well, it's very exciting. We have more choices for our patients. We're nearing the end of our time together. But before we wrap up, Jack, I'd like to hear what are your key take-home messages? Well, I think without doubt, the key take-home message is the durability effect of fericimab over our currently available agents for wet AMD and diabetic macular edema. To have 70 to 80% of patients on Q12 week dosing or longer in both conditions, in my experience, is much greater than I see in my clinical practice on a day-to-day basis with the medicines we currently use. And finally, there were no safety concerns with fericimab. Specifically, we didn't see any increases in intraocular inflammation or retinal vascular occlusive disease or retinitis. Those are great key take-home messages. I also wanted to add that fericimab is the first molecule that blocks both VEGFA and angiopoietin-2. And we know from our science that too much ANG2 leads to vascular instability. 
And by blocking that, we're hoping to promote more stability within the retina, which hopefully can translate to better clinical outcomes for our patients. I'd like to thank our audience for joining us today. And I'd also like to thank you, Jack, for this great discussion on Farisimab. I hope that people will have learned about this new mechanism and then can use this in their clinical practice. Thanks, Jack. Thank you very much, Diana. I really enjoyed our conversation. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Prova Education. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash Prova. Thank you for listening.